can't have everything without some type of negative aspects. And that's where it's like, there's always going to be some abuse, but there's abuse now. So, but the positive aspects greatly outweigh the negative when you start to really look at cannabis. But most people only look at that negative and they have that bias of like, I don't even, I don't even want to look at the good aspects. They only want to see that one bit and then take in potential falsehoods. Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. My name is Matthew Leach. I'll be joined each week by a guest for a series of podcasts. Each will shine a light on topics from across the Bailiwick. The format will change week to week. We'll have debates, reviews, hot seat interviews and special guests. So stick with us as we offer some insight on some of the most important issues we in the Bailiwick face. It was once claimed that the medicinal cannabis industry would be a massive economic enabler for Guernsey, that it would revitalise the growing industry and see the bailiwick lead the way in cannabis regulation. That hasn't happened yet, and as mainland Europe starts to relax its laws surrounding recreational cannabis, it could never happen. The issues surrounding regulation are complicated. Some argue that it should be fully legalised, regulated and taxed, while some adamantly stand by its classification as an illicit substance that should never be used recreationally. Who's right? I spoke to Gary Tucker from the House of Green. He's seen the evolution of the cannabis market firsthand in the United States, developing from a black market commodity to the multi-billion pound industry it is now. My name is Gary Tucker. I'm from the United States. I was born in California, um, in a place, Trinity County, which is Northern California. It's one of the three pieces to the Emerald Triangle, uh, which is known What's as the Emerald Triangle? It's, you know, it has a notorious name as being one of the areas for cannabis. Oh, right, okay. Whether it was legal or illegal, it kind of has its reputation. Uh, there was even a show on Netflix, um, Murder Mountain. Oh, I saw a bit that of that, yeah. That was all part of that Animal Triangle. Um, I'm actually from that region. We're just a couple of mountains over. So it'd be pretty uh, safe to say you know your stuff. Uh, I've been around the industry. It definitely wasn't something I thought I'd ever find myself getting into. I come from a military-type background, um, was in intelligence as a data analyst, worked with Raytheon as a weapons instructor for numerous years after that. But so the benefits that cannabis brought was actually was using it myself uh, as, as, a, as opposed to using the opiates because that was the Army's answer to all of the problems for all of the vets coming back from Iraq, Afghanistan was to just throw opiates at them, throw other pills at them, send them through other education and it made most of them psychotic. And I was in a place where I was training most of these in Fort Sam Houston, whether it was combat medics or rehabilitating soldiers coming back. And it was just traumatizing seeing really what was happening to the mental state of, of, of young, young individuals, kids, 18 to 20 year olds. Um, interested to know, yeah, how did you come across cannabis as this alternative, as something to help people? I, mean, I never really used it before myself. I, mean, I was in a job where we were actually catching all of this stuff coming across the border. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, the war on drugs. Um, but... I don't know, one of my friends had it. I was having serious problems, PTSD, high anxiety. I was throwing up every day, trying to run a facility that 
and train over 20,000 soldiers uh, a year on various firearms, and it was really hard for me to do my job. But I know, tried some of the, the cannabis. It, it was technically not, not legal cannabis, but it made a huge difference for me. I didn't need all the other stuff that I was being told to take, uh, didn't want to take, but I, it allowed me to be happy. I was motivated, um, but at the same time, I no longer, I didn't want to be where I was at anymore in Texas. So I decided to go back to California because I knew that this was a medicine that worked for me, but I had to go where it was legal. Right, and okay. At the time, California really was the only place in this semi-gray market, and it was just a, a really odd experience to go home and just see cannabis farms everywhere. And that's what it was like in Northern California in the Emerald Triangle, and it's just farms everywhere. So you could just get jobs all over the place um, as long as you had a prescription that you could just get from any doctor. And they handed them out as if it was, you know, nothing. You just yeah. paid them the 100 pounds, showed them your, your problems, and you got a script, but that allowed you to go to a store and buy whatever you want. So you first-hand experienced the benefit of, of cannabis. I did. And, and I then, was, yep. sorry, and then you chose to pursue it as a career. I did, because it was, you know, I have a degree in IT, uh, saw how that all worked, also really knowledgeable in the security side. Um, and so, so you, it's, 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 I, and I saw yeah, the benefits that other people, but it was yeah, the IT side of it. I knew that if you could get the skill set, like there was going to be change. So when we saw Colorado and Washington make the change to go to go legal and put in a, a, a framework that allowed for safe access, uh, that was the whole key piece to the to the to the allowing what we call recreational cannabis. It wasn't just something that you could just go buy it from anywhere. No, it was a fully regulated market. That was the only way the United States government at a federal level would allow that. Anything else, and we had what, what California was in, like I said, in this weird gray market, and they knew they couldn't keep that going. It was getting out of yeah. control. Um, so I mean, the weird gray market was what? The fact that it, it was... It was just that all you needed was this script, and that allowed people to grow their own plans, but then they started to allow, some counties were allowing places to stack these scripts. So that person can't grow it themselves, that person can't grow it themselves, I can grow it for you. Now I take your six plants, that six plants, this six plants, my six plants, and I grow them all. Now I'm growing a hundred something plants. Now you've started a problem. As right, opposed okay. to just being a small amount of plants for personal use, you have someone who's kind of growing at a commercial level who's supposed to give it back to these six people, but that person really doesn't need it, and that person really doesn't need it. So now that stuff's going to filter into the black market because there's no actual regulated market. Like, so there's no framework set in place. So when the rules were changed, we'll come on to Guernsey soon enough, but so when the rules were changed, the, the framework wasn't there. There was no framework. So it was kind of like somewhat decriminalized is how California operated, and then the way the supply chain got fed was these allowed to grow six plants as long as you got a prescription. So it's a messy, so because so one of the arguments has always been and probably will come up in Guernsey is whether to legalize or decriminalize. And it sounds like that decriminalizing it didn't work in the States. It, did, it didn't work. It makes it readily available for the people. But the problem is, is you don't know where the supply comes from. It's going to come from somewhere. So once you just take the law off that says you can possess it, where does that supply come from? Because 
a black market already exists. Yeah. Like one existed before, you know, things changed in Guernsey. Even with medical cannabis on island now, we still there is still a black market. There is still a black market in California. Just because there's, for some people, it's cheaper. They can avoid taxes or they don't want to get licensed. Um, but they also are still trying to get the market up to speed in, in California. But it, it was very much a decriminalized style market. And the supply came from prescription holders. Right. But a majority... All criminals. That majority of that supply also left California and went all throughout the United States where prices were higher because it became the high risk, high reward. It's very complicated. It is. And it sounds like, because you've seen it from the beginning in the States then, and seeing it happen, it's changing across the world, this approach to cannabis medicinally and recreationally. It's evolving as an, as an industry as opposed to just a plant. Yeah. And, and something that you bought off of the street, the, the resin, the flower, whatever, the keef, whatever the different names that it could take. Uh, it turned into an industry because we, we realized there was a whole supply chain. And that's what I really got to see, especially once I knew it was like, wow, you could see, even in California, we used to call it the trimigration, which happened in October. So when all the outdoor crops would get ready for harvest, this, I'm from a town of about 2,000 people. Uh, called Hayfork. It's kind of like being in Albany, so it's 30 miles to the next town, but it's all mountains right, and okay. trees. Um, but when the harvest came, October, <laughs> happened in October, uh, we would get a flux of about 10,000 to 20,000 people just to show up to just help trim and harvest the, the fields. Mm. All of it paying in cash. Um, but that's where then you're starting to see crime because it's not regulated. And no. You're in a county where there's only... A handful of law enforcement officers to, and they're worried about you know other thefts, you know homicides, people going missing, so disputes over other stuff. It never gets dealt with. We we're heading kind of to an inevitable legalization of it, right? And so, why is it being slowed down? Why is the process so slow? Well, I mean, we look back at the you know all of the events in the world in the last few years. And it's hard, I guess, being a small jurisdiction when we're being faced with global pandemics uh, year after, you know, it's just a continuation of COVID. So about the same time that Guernsey began to make a change, um, an industry started to come together, but then we were hit with COVID. Well, the re-election, so we knew everything would kind of come to a stop, obviously, because there's a changeover in, in politicians and some civil servants, whatever. Uh, it's just natural with any jurisdiction. But then COVID hitting with this cannabis being put into public health aspect and HSC, with COVID happening, all resources had to be devoted to COVID and very understandable. So we, as an industry, backed off. So, you know, we, we totally understand why government should be more focused on the pandemic and protecting the island we can wait um, and we use that time to get ourselves set up and going we actually put the whole facility together uh, in between lockdowns uh, we had a shipment showing up in the first part of the, the lockdown um, I think we had 20 something crates of steel that we brought in from California uh, and why did you come why did you come here we came here because we, we, we saw the inevitable. We knew that once, like I said, Oregon, like Washington, Colorado first made the, the change, you could start to see some things happening. Oregon made the, the change, and they went from pretty much that gray market like California had um, into just 
a full redo, uh, uh, recreational medical market. Um, and, it, and it worked for them. They knew this, like, you have to get something going. So we saw more states slowly moving. California made the change in 2018. Um, so it's recreational now in California. It's recreational now in California. They actually established a Department of Cannabis um, in 2017 before the law changed. Yeah. So it was a precursor to already know that it's going to happen in California. It's just a matter of time. Um, but they also knew that they had to get things started because doing nothing is the worst thing you can do. You're just allowing for a black market to continue to build itself by doing yeah. nothing. So get something going and then work with industry to you know, bring it all together. That was kind of California's philosophy, but you know, it's a huge... Yeah. Um, they have a huge problem because they have allowed for a gray market to run for almost 20 years. Right. So it has a huge problem to root out because it allowed it to flourish. Uh, but what you see just this, this the, the change from West Coast to East Coast. And it was just naturally to see, especially as my job is in my Army career as a data analyst, signal intelligence, early warning warfare, was to always project and look at futures before they occur. So you could understand and see the, the trend analysis that this movement is moving from West to East. It's going to jump the Atlantic Ocean and it will hit Europe just because that's how trends usually move a lot of times, or it's the other way around. And that seems to be what's happening here. Yeah, progression isn't going the other way. We're not seeing jurisdictions locking things down. We're seeing slowly jurisdictions open things up. Before, the pathway was more of a medical route to get to a recreational route. That was usually the always the pathway yeah. that one saw. In that first couple of years... Um, there was no CBD production at all in the States. There was no hemp production like we have in Europe in the States. There was no industrial hemp market. It didn't really exist. All of it was pretty much banned. But in the lieu of all the recreational um, coming online, Colorado also kind of brought in the hemp aspect of things. And all yeah. of a sudden that allowed for the CBD markets to start to open up. So those that weren't doing recreational THC saw an avenue to do CBD in which they could potentially push the product to a wider market. And that's kind of how the CBD aspect was kind of born. There for a while, CBD was actually far more expensive than THC in America okay. because the supply was not there. The only supply came from THC plants. Right, and okay. All and it's all processed rights. completely differently to get. Yep, yep. Um, Are they the same? I mean, my, my ignorance. Are they the same plant? It's the same plant. It's all from the same genus plant. The difference is, is just there's have slight difference in the genetics and you get different uh, growth as far as the cannabinoids and, and, and the terpenes. And that's really the difference between like industrial hemp, hemp is just the, the, the classification really of, of what the THC level is at. So if you're set up to grow, you can pretty much grow for any of these markets, yep. right? So the, our whole thing was now seeing with the CBD markets going more global, prices and supply, you know, supplies increase, prices have come down, demand is somewhat going up, but that demand only stays up until recreational market comes in. As soon as recreational market comes in, CBD sales will almost drop off yeah. to a small percentage because everyone wants the CAC aspect. You want to know that the medicine's actually working for you. So that's where you want to feel it. You want to feel it. So the best ones have always been like the one-to-one or two-to-one ratios of you know, TAC to CBD. Um, where you know you get the 
the mental aspect of it, but you also get the, the body aspect. Uh, but there's so many varieties out there of cannabis, but it's, it's all the same plants. But it's hard as a consumer to understand that. We didn't really understand that until we hit the extraction rule, which the extraction side didn't really, it existed in a small scale. It was always because it was a gray market. No one was trying to industrialize an extraction setup because it's... Or kind of do it properly or... It's solvent hungry, power hungry. Like, you're, you're going to get caught. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. In the story. So most of that stuff started off small scale, but, you know, the same thing. It wasn't really being regulated. We were seeing some accidents, but it was because people were going for the cheapest route possible. So they were buying cheap solvents, cheap setups, and not really, you know had their training to do what they were doing. But that's, that is how concentrates and oils really were born, was in the backyard, people doing different methodologies on their own. But once the recreational happened, there also became the need to industrialize because the demand was so great. And I think that's the part that blew everyone away was how much demand there really was. No one could keep up with the demand once a place went legal so every time we saw a jurisdiction bring in recreational there was an immediate flourish of money and demand because there's people trying to set up their own you know, companies set up their own extraction set up their own grows and this happens in every single jurisdiction regardless of the size and we talk about impact then of so when a, a jurisdiction like california makes recreational cannabis regulated legalized fully um I mean, are there negative impacts? Are there what the positive? I mean, this is what people are fearful of. An old guard of people who are fearful of what cannabis brings with it. There's always going to be some negative aspects. You can't have everything without some type of negative aspects. And that's where it's like, there's always going to be some abuse, but there's abuse now. Yeah. So, but the positive aspects greatly outweigh the negative when you start to really look at cannabis. But most people only look at that negative and they have that bias of like, I don't even don't even want to look at the good aspects. They only want to see that one bit and then take in potential falsehoods. But when you look at the, the benefits, it's there are very, almost none reported cases of people who have died from cannabis itself. Maybe something they're doing. Yeah. Or it's something else that was mixed in there. And that's like the problem that I have with the black market is... People will lace their black market illegal cannabis with other drugs Why? to get people hooked onto it, put it at a higher price. You don't, and you that's know, an unregulated market. That's unregulated not safe. Market. You don't know what you're buying. You don't know what else they're pushing because the same people who are also usually pushing cannabis in an illegal market are also usually pushing something else. They're already taking the risk. Why not bring out why some coke with it? it? Why, why, not, why not? I mean, we even see that, you know relatively often in Guernsey where it's like it's not just cannabis that someone will get prosecuted with there's usually also a little bit of something else yeah they're not just importing yeah exactly. there's always there's always something else because it's there is an avenue there you have to exploit it that's how that's how these people work and like I said I was helping catch stuff coming across the Mexican border and that's as soon as there's an avenue they exploit it with everything they possibly can until like it's caught whether that's people guns drugs you name it but the positive effects that you saw in places 
Uh-huh. Whereas, yeah, as soon as you put in the positive aspects, like once you regulate a market, well, that's going to stop a lot of the importers trying to come in because who's trying to import into a market that's actually regulated where prices are cheaper? Because the problem like we have in Guernsey is you have to look at the economics of it. The black market price for cannabis can be anywhere between 30 onwards up to 100 pounds a gram. Even more so, I think, when it was during lockdown when imports nearly came to a stop just because naturally all shipping came to a stop. How'd you get in the island, yeah? So nothing was really coming to the island. At that time frame, we were selling the, um, the vape carts that we were, that we made that had a, a very small amount of THC in them. You know, they were still, they were states tested and tested legal, which those were made with material we imported in from Bulgaria. But that was the highest amount of THC you could get on the island. And you were importing it during... We had, that During was, the pandemic. Yeah, that was, I think, between lockdowns. We brought that in in September of 2000. So we imported 500 kilos legally from Bulgaria of industrial hemp. Uh, it was basically all of his waste and trash. And we turned that into oil and had it tested and turned that into vape carts and sold it here on the island. But at the time, that was the best THC you could get. Right, okay. Once people found out that we were selling those uh, through the Bailey Botanical Store... We were selling several hundred pounds to a thousand pounds a day in these vape cars because you could get a small effect from it. Yeah. Albeit small. The concern I though I had was I knew at that point that's what people were going after and it's just like, well, the intake of C B D is gonna be a lot higher if that's what they're trying to get to. So yeah. now if we're potentially you know, can have a side effect to their body because of, you know, the, the C B D intake. But that's what they resorted that's to. What they, that's what they resorted to. And is that the same then with um, the gummies? Is that, that the same kind of approach people take to the gummies? The same happens to the gummies. The gummies, you know, have that small amount of THC um, into the flavors. And then the cherry ones have a small amount of CBN. Right, okay. And what's the, which one's CBN? CBN is pretty much the, it's more of a sleepy. Yeah, okay. Cannabinoids, whatever one likes to call it. Uh, it's more of a sedative effect. It still has minor psychoactive because of that sedative effect. Um, that's where I think two people misunderstand the term psychoactive. It just means anything that changes. people think trippy and trippy colors and, like, and LSD. I'm not going to start seeing <laughs> pink elephants and stuff in the sky. I, I have heard of nobody ever having that off of cannabis. And I think that that was too. It's like as my adventure through all of this, um, because when I when I went to Oregon, I found myself with a company called Cura Cannabis Solutions. Yeah. They were bought out recently by Cura Leaf. Um, I can't remember what the final deal was, but the original offer was $970 million. Big money. I set up the entire, most of the lab operations at the base of it before they took off. Um, Bruce Caruso, who uh, was also a part of that, my wife was also a part of that. So we helped put the foundation in place of what's one of the leading cannabis companies in America, Granite. We were just employees at the time. Yeah. Um, and so it was afterwards. But we got to see this huge transition change and how it, it, I mean, we, I think now that company hires, you know, several hundred employees or over a hundred employees strong. And it's like, it's just cannabis jobs. We would need people so bad. We would just walk up to the street and just yell for people for jobs, get them to do an application, do some background checks on them, and then hire them because we just needed people so bad because the demand, again, was just, we weren't, 
no one was ready for it. What? Where else? What? What other jurisdictions are similar to California then, uh, outside of the states, as far as regulated, as a regulated recreational cannabis One of the market is? First goes. countries that went was Uruguay, as far yes. as going okay. recreational. I, but I don't recall how much they actually set up. I think they still have some problems on the licensing side. Right. Okay. Most of the U.S. states that have done it and Canada have always put the focus onto a safe access, um, safe market. Where the idea is that you're putting in controls to ensure that the product is clean, tested, it's coming from a licensed producer, sold by a licensed dispensary. Uh, it very much takes on uh, like controls that you see like in alcohol. Yeah. Like even Oregon, it's ran through the Liquor Commission, the LLCC. And so that's that's the same for medicinal cannabis yep. as it would be for recreational cannabis. You would need a framework in place yep. before you license people to be able to prescribe and grow yep and because there's got to be a way for those people to operate at a commercial level if you just say medical cannabis again it's like how are you what are you doing to regulate that supply chain do you just treat it like a pharmaceutical companies and that's kind of what europe has done differently from america whereas america and the united states and canada treated it like its own program which is how it needed to be done Europe wasn't quite sure what to do, so the answer has just been, well, let's just call it pharmaceutical. Right. And we're treated really no different as if we were producing Vicodin, opiates, whatever. It's the same controls, the same, you know, uh, in place. Is that, a ste- is that a better step? I mean, it's a step on the way. It's, it, I mean... It's not the best. Do we do that with food? No. So, I mean, a food-grade kitchen should suffice to make these types of products. You still want to have controls to ensure people aren't using nasty chemicals, and that was something like we said we learned in the extraction world was if it's in the soil, you know, it's in the plant, it's in the oil, it's in your product, which means it's in your body. And the more you take in, the more damage you can do. So what we were seeing is not really a problem with the cannabis. It was the problem with what people were putting on the plants. Right, okay. So there was this whole pushing back against the black market saying, no, you guys have to stop using nasty chemicals because we're finding those in the extraction world and we're now making products that could potentially be harmful, not because of the cannabis, but because you guys use, you know, glyphosate yeah. around the plants. And now we've, and it's not so much that, okay, well, our studies may show that maybe glyphosate is good and people will argue, whatever, I'm not here to debate that. But the problem is, is I'm concentrating it when we extract. And now we're bringing it to levels that could be lethal. And that's what happens in the extraction side. But without the proper testing on Guernsey to be able to test for those chemicals and without us being able to export the island, how do you know if... So you know, though, once it's extracted that this is a dangerous level. So is that make a product useless? Yep. <laughs> and then that's where you're better off not even buying that material. So that's what we always put in vigorous processes in place to ensure like the we go and test the ground, we test the plant, and make sure that everything is to safe levels before we even start. If not, then it's just like we know that we can't you know, purchase said material or process material because we're just going to contaminate the entire facility. So that was something that we put in place, like at Kira, was that was part of our standard operating procedure was we actually took small bats, uh, batches of material ahead of time, 
ran them through pre-made, uh, pre-set up extraction setups to make concentrates and have those tested to ensure that the products were clean. If things came out clean, we would go back and purchase material. And there's still additional steps to that that I'm not going to go into because those were yeah, you know, trade secrets for us. So, But we had ways to ensure that we knew everything coming into the facility 99.9% of the time was going to be clean. And then we had checks in place to ensure that everything coming out of the facility was also clean. And then we had developed procedures to ensure that we could keep everything separated that came through the facility. So it was developing these batch ID numbers. No different than how we did stuff in the intelligence field. It was how to keep information in, in complex situations organized. So we put that same method into place for tracking cannabis because there's so many growers you know, X amount of number of growers, there's over 4,000 different varieties of cannabis. Each one has different terpene profiles, different cannabinoid levels. So that's where the levels of oil are constantly always changing. And that's why pharmaceuticals don't like that because that's hard math. Okay. <laughs> it's easier if I can just take 500 milligrams of CBD and 500 milligrams of THC and put that into a bottle and go, there you go, take two drops of that every night. When the levels are constantly changing. So is the difference the mistake putting it into the same realm as medicines? Yeah, it's but a plan. Why? Why? But why has it been done that way? Because they don't know how else to where else to put it. Is and it a kind of, of you don't know where the parameters are for this particular thing? Yeah, and that's, that's where Europe has kind of found that is that they thought that would be the best answer. And it's actually proven to have not been the best answer. There was all these projections that medical was going to take off, like even for Germany, that there was mm. going to be huge changes in Germany with the medical and all the prescriptions. And it hasn't happened. Why? Because it's still cheaper to get it in the black market in Germany. So, And you've put it into a bracket of medicinal yep. products where it's... The same as in the UK. And you, you have to hit very high targets. Yep, and you have very expensive facilities that they have to be operated in. Like just for medical cannabis, you have to at least grow in a GACP environment. That's sometimes not even like really thought highly of. They'd rather you grow in a GMP environment, which is a clean room. Now you're in a pharmaceutical style clean room, and there's different grades of clean room, but you're in that same idea of. Yeah. I think the highest level is when you start getting into like virus production and stuff like that. Or, yeah. Um, checking into that. So we were into those realms. Like for our lab, we were going to have to make sure that we were able to exchange uh, the air seven times every hour. That's crazy. And that must be led from, that's led from the UK Home Office, right? Well, that's international treaties that yeah. kind of put stuff into place as far as these are the standards for pharmaceutical production. Um, it's Europe that's kind of all agreed that they didn't know how to classify it, so they just kind of placed it as pharmaceutical. And the UK Home Office has kind of done the same. Yeah. And you're saying cannabis can't really be put in that bracket? Yeah, it's a plant because part of the GACP and the transition move from like, because as you grow, the out part's GACP, but as soon as you hang the plant up to dry, it now has to be in a GMP environment, which is even stricter. You can't have a certain particulate and particle size, otherwise you've basically, it's no longer met that classification, it has to be stopped. Dirt, these plants grow in dirt, so the best answer is to no longer grow in dirt, but to start using hydroponics and other stuff to really yeah. keep that clean room effect, and that becomes either more costly, it's not natural. So it's, 
it just sounds too complicated to do it at a medicinal level. Is it doomed to fail across the board in this way? It's not doomed to fail, but prices have to stay high. People have to stay at a point where they're paying the amount that they're paying for their prescriptions. Which is very high. We know it is. Yeah. You know, onwards up to 12 to 15 pounds a gram for yeah. some of the more expensive stuff. So. Yeah. It makes it almost not worthwhile for some people to go down that route unless it's, it's absolutely... Not, and I, I know quite a few people that started to go down that route um, were getting benefit, but then just they couldn't maintain that, you know, uh, just because it's too expensive to add in another extra 500 to 1,000 pounds a month to one's life. That's, that's, that's hard for most people to take on. Yeah. Some people have no problem with that, sure, but that's just the bell curve of wealth distribution. But so many people are packed into the middle of that bell curve, they can't afford to take on that extra expense. That usually means sacrificing something else. And it impacts the lower earners. But usually some of them realize like, hey, there's definitely a huge trade-off there. This helped my life. I'm willing to sacrifice this over there. Usually the first thing to go is alcohol, to be fair, but... Which is a good thing. Um, you know, I know a <laughs> That's lot the of great hypocrisy, isn't it? cannabis users on island. Um, you know, myself being a, a prescription user myself, I, I don't ever, like hardly now do I use alcohol. As in, in between, because I was on a medical cannabis prescription before I came over here and I had to basically go an entire year with without. And obviously could not resort to going to the black market. Um, but then that whole year with, with without, and then to yeah, what's going with that? Then to have it now, yeah, um, it's a it's a it's a price to, to have to pay. So you have to really look at it. But in that time frame of not having it, you know, I resorted to have, to, to alcohol. Yeah, uh, not heavily, but you yeah, know, having a couple of drinks. And for most people, it's that uh, trying to help get to sleep at night. That's usually the biggest case that we see, even in the store. That's the the thing that we usually hear the most from from. Uh, people coming in is something to help them sleep and it does and it does and they come back and buy and it's a cheaper solution than saying getting a constant cannabis prescription they can offset it so a medicinal cannabis this route with medicinal cannabis is kind of it feels like a bit of a half-assed way of getting to the final destination it's if you're really not sure what you're doing that's the first route to go because then you can just say yeah well here's all these other rules in place that we can just go "Mm, yeah there and that's kind of how what Guernsey's done is they started to open up a process which attracted business. I mean, we saw not just the House of Green, um, you know, uh, celebrated with, with Tina Boulding was very much, I felt like the, the, the groundbreaker, the forefront of this, and, and still is on Guernsey. You know, she was the first local to get her own clinic up and going. She still has her CBD license, um, we still have ours. But she's been, you know, trying to do that. And, She's been, you know, slowly getting there, but it's others, difficult. it's difficult. We've seen others that said House of Green, and we came into the island. We knew of others that came into Alderney. We had Highland Island Botanicals, Island Organics. Uh, there was another outfit that was trying to do up on, on, on Alderney as well. We had others constantly contacting us as the House of Green as far as what they needed to do to mm. get set up or get licensed. We're just like, we're just a corporation like you need to go talk to the states of Guernsey to get licensed like we're not yeah we're, we're not the industry of Guernsey we're 
we're a corporation that saw an avenue to use currency to get to Europe. And that's like to go back to earlier questions. That's why I came here was just that knowing that that movement was happening. Europe's going to happen. So CBD is the first process, getting to medical and then getting to recreational. But because yeah. Europe has messed up its medical program, the demand hasn't taken off. So countries are now making the switch to go to recreation. Who's going recreational then? Malta's already put the, the process in place. They put a law, and that's usually how even the U.S. jurisdiction's done it, is they, they put an ordinance or law into place first that mandates that a regulatory body be established. Yeah. And then it's up to that regulatory body to establish a market by a certain time frame. Right, okay. Now you've put all of the... You've, you've um, put the authority to that regulatory body to establish... The goals, yeah, and putting you know certain thing bullet points that they need to achieve along the way. That then takes it kind of out of the hands of the politicians. But you've put an established timeline down as far as you need to have something in place by then, regardless. And that's how other jurisdictions because you have to get something going, or it just goes away. So the inevitable. I mean, it feels like the inevitable result to this will be regulation across the board. Um, how are we affected here in, or in the UK in the, in the time frame that we do this who does it first the stumbling blocks we've met so far the earlier that one gets into the market and able to play onto the global scale the more money that one can make so if you're the last guy on the train you're, you have a pretty terrible choice of seat selection it's kind of yeah, the analogy there um, Have we missed the medicinal market I think train? Europe has somewhat missed the medicinal market because the problem too for medicinal market, like Guernsey can try to do it and sell like internally, but you still have to get your facility GMP certified to actually sell into any other country. Like Germany will want you to be EU GMP certified by their inspector or the MHRA inspectors. So one of the two high-level government-regulated you know, medicines authorities have to inspect your facility. To make sure it meets the GMP facility, yeah. that's a two-year waiting list. Wow! So even if you get licensed today, you still can't sell into the market potentially for another two years. Now Guernsey can look the other way, yeah, and allow that to come to Guernsey and not put that requirement in place. And that's something that Jersey had talked about in their scrutiny report back in January, which I thought was a very well done internal look as far as the oh we didn't do this right. So Jersey's kind of already made been self-aware internally that they need to make changes. I'm just not on Jersey. I don't know where yeah. they are in their in their talks. But we know Guernsey is kind of feels somewhat stalled out. Like yeah, said, it opened an avenue. We saw potential in there. Except the idea was to get here, get CBD going, get these facilities set up. We're hopefully, get, prepared for the future. Prepare for the future. Hopefully, get others involved as well. Um, because a big problem that we saw was as a place made a transition, a lot of growers weren't ready for that transition and went out of business. Like they were able to do the CBD, but they couldn't make the transition over to THC. So we're What open. difference is that to them? It's the just the security standards, the protocols. So it's not the growing of the plant. It's the, it's the facility it needs to be in. No, and it's a, you, have to, you have to ensure that it's definitely you know, not moldy. Mm. Do. So it's a good chance, like with CBD, where it's a low-value crop, where it's like, you have a chance to make lots of mistakes because we can usually turn it into oil, as long as it's not too bad. 
Yeah. We're not trying to push CBD flower anymore because we can't. Yeah. Um, but if you go the other way, you yeah, need it to be a higher quality. If it's going to go to a flower market, it has to be a high quality. Otherwise, it won't sell and you'll suffer as a grower. Um, so we were, that's what we were really hoping to see happen in, in Guernsey was just that. So we were trying to kind of extend the offer to others to help them. You know, all we'd all essentially grow together as an industry. But with Guernsey not acting really off of anything else except for the law that was kind of put in place it you know uh, it's somewhat stymied yeah have you had um do you feel supported now have you had conversations since i definitely feel like there's more support within the states um now you could definitely see forward progress you know i i definitely have to you know it's yeah the things are happening but the hard part for us is like well we've been waiting three years this should have been happening yeah, there's only back so long in, you can wait, I suppose. Back in 2020, it's really the talks that we're in now should have been happening in 2020, but no, instead we had the COVID crisis and extended into 2021, and now we have, you know, uh, the crisis in Ukraine. So. Yeah, but there'll always be a crisis, probably. Yeah, it just, I don't think that we were all ready for them to all be so like, <laughs> close together. Global pandemic. So, I mean, we'll leave on a, on a positive note, I suppose. I mean, the future cannabis is being more accepted by the there is a certain part do you think it's a vocal sometimes it's argued that it's a vocal minority who accept it is that do you or do you think that's true I, I, I don't think so I think that's people not understanding the truth they, they ignore a black market that's already there and accept it's, it to be in the it's, island it's I mean while it may be a, a smaller per capita use in Guernsey um, but I, I, we already know that even data shows that there's probably somewhere between a seven to ten percent per capita use for illegal cannabis in the UK. Yeah, you're about the same level as alcohol. So are they in the minority as well? I mean, it, it's it's there. Just the the reality is, is people don't want to to acknowledge that it's there. But it's you know you can't combat it with the war on drugs or decriminalizing you're not making it go away those are just erasing stats you're trying to keep the the problem down and it doesn't you regulate the market that destroys the black market yeah and raises taxes and raises taxes it, it offsets the cost to fight it because like even if currency decriminalizes it that just brings to the incentive for supply to come from off island because it's you didn't allow for the supply to come on island, mm. so it means... It so demand will increase on island. Demand if you decriminate, yeah. If you decriminalize it, demand will increase. We already know, we see that, um, you know, even with our stores, because it's, you know, you have to have a dryer vaporizer to to use your uh, prescription, so we see a lot of dryer vaporizer cells. It just so happens to be our stores are close to the dispensaries. We also know that the other clinics on island are also selling dryer vaporizers. Um, some of the other vape shops sell dryer vaporizers, so you can. See this is so you don't burn it, right? Yeah, because then when you burn it, that makes it illicit again, right? I, 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 I'm where I don't know. I'm at a loss of words as far as why. <laughs> I can understand from a doctor's perspective, like it'd be really hard for me to say, hey, go smoke this because the smoke could potentially be doing more harm. So vaporizing should at least be a safer alternative. So I but it should be a more legal alternative. But is that right? Have I got that right? That if you 
it roll it into a, a into should a, just be a choice. Like, there's so many different ways to consume <laughs> cannabis because you could take that same flour and you could you could actually stick it in the oven, bake it. That's going to activate the THC, and you can actually eat it. You could even eat the flour as is as THCA, not get the psychoactive effect, but get additional benefits. Like I knew guys in California that would take uh, buds and put them in their smoothies in the morning and blend them all up like that and take them with a fruit smoothie. Delicious. <laughs> I mean, it, amazing. But you don't get that high psychoactive effect because it's not, it, it's THCA still, which is non-activated THC. It hasn't been de- uh, decarboxylated yet. Right, okay. So that happens when you burn it or at a high heat. And that's where the with combustion, it turns into THC, but that will happen with vaporization. It's a temperature thing. So that's kind of like even with cannabis resin, the confusion sometimes there is just like, People think cannabis resin as the solids and keef, and it's just like, well, yeah, but that's THCA, which is a crystalline format, so it's going to look that. But as soon as you activate that same resin yeah. with heat, it's going to turn into honey. Right, okay. And that's usually what's in a lot of these products is, is that form that's basically taken uh, the, the, the acidic formats of the cannabinoids and has activated it so that they're no longer in crystalline form and fully activated, which means you can rub it on your face or your hands and it will get into your body that way. And that's where the, the cosmetics, so that's where we can see that these, the oils, the extracts, they turn into an ingredient. So as opposed to flour, which is a single use product, whether you smoke it or vape it, once you turn it into some form of an extract, you can put it in anything. But it needs to be properly regulated and people need to know that it's in there because if they're not made aware that that product contains cannabinoids and it does have a slight mind-altering effect to them, that's where problems can occur. It's not the cannabis oil that killed them, it was what they were doing at the time. And that's education. And that's through education and making sure that the products allow for a safe use um, or safe access for a safe market. The products are identified as a cannabis product. Like all of the stuff in the U.S. all have symbols and stuff on it so that you know that is a cannabis product, which means, yeah, don't go probably operate heavy machinery or drive vehicles. Yeah. No different than you would with any other um, alcohol or mind-altering type stuff. Well, let's hope this regulated market comes in. I hope so. One day soon. It'll happen soon. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Glad to be here. Thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. The title track was Shift My Weight by Luno. If you enjoyed it, I know it's a pain, but please like and share. It all helps. And remember, you can hit bailiwickexpress.com to stay right up to date with whatever is happening in the Bailiwick. You can find us online, on social, on email, and on internet radio. There'll be more from me, Matthew Leach, and all the Bailiwick Express team next Friday.